This podcast is sponsored by Media First, who design and deliver bespoke media, message development, presentations and crisis communications training. Find out more by visiting mediafirst.co.uk. Hello, welcome to the Media Landscape. I'm Julia Bell and I'll be taking you through the last week's news and preparing you for what's ahead. Today, we'll explore the effectiveness of Boris Johnson's accountability avoiding techniques. We'll also chat about offensive Kit Kat wrappers and what constitutes annoying tannoy spam. This week's journal on the go was Lawrence McGinty, former science and medical editor for ITV News, who explained why he feels the Conservative Party backbench MPs may have even more control of our approach to COVID than the scientists themselves. So the big story across the media landscape this week has, of course, been this ever more precarious battle that the Prime Minister is fighting to avoid a vote of no confidence. As we know, the Downing Street Party scandals, plural, because there's been about 16 separate reports now at least, they have been the source of record numbers of angry emails that MPs have been receiving from constituents. And this has led to a growing number of Conservatives to question the Prime Minister's position at the top. But the drama has intensified this week because some Conservatives are accusing the Prime Minister's team of using blackmail to stop them from rebelling. For instance, MP William Ragg's name has been all over the front pages because he claims that there's been threats to cut funding from constituencies and even spread negative publicity about anyone who writes in to trigger a no-confidence vote. And I mean, if there's any truth to that, it's terrifying and deeply undemocratic. But I'm always interested if the public actually notices or cares about this party infighting stuff. So I checked pollster YouGov's website and yeah, Johnson's popularity is indeed at an all time low. 73% of the UK public think he's doing badly as prime minister. 22% feel he's doing well and 5% don't know. So why are the vast majority of the public losing so much faith uh, at this time? And we talked in depth in the last episode of the podcast about Johnson's initial apology in the Commons being filled with what I saw as technicalities and excuses, which I don't think have done, done him any good. But along with that, I'm noticing the PM has taken to using this report that's being put together, this inquiry that's being put together by civil servant Sue Gray as a sort of safety shield to avoid discussing these party allegations any further. Will the Prime Minister agree it's now time for him to resign? Uh, No, Mr Speaker, but what I can tell her is that, as I said to the House last week, uh, I I apologise sincerely for uh, any misjudgments that were made, uh, but she must contain her impatience, Mr Speaker, and wait for the inquiry next week before she draws any of the conclusions that she's just asserted. That exchange was from Prime Minister's Questions on Thursday the 20th of January. But that narrative implies that Johnson needs a civil servant to tell him if he broke the rules that he wrote. Um, which I suppose you can make your own judgments about. But one thing that is undeniably important moving forward in terms of messaging is that whatever this report says when it's published, Johnson has to take heed of it and has to own it. He's enjoyed using it as a sort of shield, constantly saying, let's wait for the report, let's wait for the report. The worst thing would be if this report comes out and he doesn't like what he reads, for him to then turn around and say, oh, let's ignore the report, it doesn't matter. 
Elsewhere in the headlines this week, of course, there's been lots of coverage that COVID restrictions are lifting off in England from Thursday the 27th of January. So no more work from home guidance, no more face mask mandate, no vaccine passports to get into certain venues. As for the other three nations in the UK, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, none of them are doing this sort of blanket scrap of restrictions in the same way that England is, because, for instance, they are keeping some mask mandates going. Uh, But they are all opening up nightclubs from towards the end of January and taking away most, if not all, limits to indoor mixing. I've also seen coverage in The Times and on the iFront page this week that the NHS might be considering a U-turn on its policy to let staff go who have refused the COVID vaccine. Uh, As it stands, unvaccinated NHS staff have less than two weeks to get their first jab before being dismissed. But these estimates that around 70,000 personnel could end up leaving have allegedly brought the government to start considering their options. I do also wonder if losing up to 70,000 NHS staff would add to the PM's load as he battles on many fronts to hold on to his position. And actually, this whole thing reminds me of um, the American outdoor wear brand Carhartt, who have been all over, particularly the American press at the moment, because of their very strict staff vaccine mandate. Um, Now, in the States, the Supreme Court have ruled that the government cannot force employers to roll out vaccine mandates to their staff. And that's contributed to companies like Starbucks loosening their requirements that were previously quite severe on employees about that. But Carhartt is sticking to its guns. The CEO, Mark Vallard, emailed Carhartt personnel saying, quote, we put workplace safety at the very top of our priority list and the Supreme Court's recent ruling doesn't impact that core value. As a result, the hashtag boycott Carhartt has been trending amongst conservatives on Twitter. But at the same time, I'm also seeing some kind of pro-vaccine mandate voices say they are now going to start shopping at Carhartt now. Either way, right, the this is an outerwear brand that has found itself right in the throngs of a public health and political debate. And I think that is an indicator that as governments back off it's pushing more of the spotlight onto employers themselves. They have, like it or not, more and more agency over their political stance on their COVID restrictions, on what they want to do. So are you asking for masks to be worn around the office? Are you implementing regular testing? Are you requiring vaccines? Are you demanding that people come in, even if they're hesitant? Whatever route they are taking, There isn't a government mandate to hide behind. And I think that means that literally whatever choice is made, careful strategy on messaging and frankly, crisis planning is essential. Speaking of messaging in a crisis, the food and beverage giant Nestle have found themselves in hot water this week as they've received complaints over the wrapping on limited edition Kit Kats in India, which featured multiple Hindu gods. Consumers shared their discomfort uh, on social media at the idea of these gods imagery being disrespected. Uh, as the wrappers, you know, inevitably end up in bins or littered on roads and in gutters. Uh, And I've got to say, that is an oversight. It is clear that the full sort of customer journey with that product from purchase to disposal wasn't fully appreciated. Um, Their statement in response 
It wasn't the most sensitive I've ever seen, if I'm honest. It read, quote, We wanted to encourage people to know about the art and its artisans. We do understand the sensitivity of the matter and regret if we have inadvertently hurt people's sentiments. You know, the, the I'm sorry if always just catches you, doesn't it? It always just jars a bit because it essentially sends the message of I'm sorry if you felt bad rather than I'm sorry that I did something bad. One thing that piqued my interest this week was this debate over quote-unquote tannoy spam on trains. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps believes we are all too often plagued by unnecessary torrents of announcements. And he put out this campaign video where he's sitting on a train uh, trying to read the telegraph. Yes, I noted the choice of paper. And he's failing because of this classic scenario where the tannoy announcements won't leave him alone. If you travel by train, you've probably heard some of these messages. Well, some messages are clearly important, but others just state the obvious. So we've reviewed the messages that are played on the Tannoy system and where they add nothing but noise and irritation, we're removing them. Now, part of me thinks this campaign is quite clever because it's relatively straightforward to implement. It basically costs very little and yet it can be seen to positively affect, you know, almost everyone. I've never, for instance, met anyone who wishes there were more tannoy announcements on trains. However, because it's so seemingly quick and cheap, another more kind of cynical part of me feels like this is a bit of a cheap date, uh, especially considering the fact that regulated rail fares in England will increase by 3.8% from March. That's the biggest jump in nine years. And it's not like rail fares are currently really cheap, is it? And I am very interested to see if this tannoy spam cull wins over the public or if actually it kind of backfires by almost inadvertently alerting them to more serious problems that perhaps aren't being prioritised. I'll mention this, actually. Uh, The chairman of banking giant Credit Suisse, resigned this week after it was revealed that he broke quarantine rules to attend Wimbledon. He said in a statement, quote, I regret that a number of my personal actions have led to difficulties for Credit Suisse. I therefore believe that my resignation is in the interest of the bank and its stakeholders at this crucial time. I just thought it was interesting to compare that with our Prime Minister, who is, of course, showing no interest in the premise of resigning amidst a relatively similar scandal. Uh, And it's got me thinking, are we at a point where corporate private, you know, CEOs now have to deal with more accountability than politicians. And that question brings me to our journo on the go, Lawrence McGinty. And I started by asking him if the relaxation of COVID restrictions in England is actually just a distraction technique, another perhaps distraction technique to save Boris Johnson's bacon. Well, I think it's undoubtedly true that uh, conservative backbenchers are probably the most important people in the world right now to uh, Mr. Johnson. Because if more than 50 odd of those write letters uh, expressing no confidence to their committee, the 1922 committee, then there has to be an election uh, for a new leader. So uh, it's certainly true that the pressure, backbench pressure in in the past has been to relax restrictions. Um, And so I think it's, it's at least feasible 
that um, these relaxations uh, owe as much to pressure from the backbenchers as they do to scientific evidence. Uh, remember, the levels of infection are currently running still very high, over 90,000 a day. But this is the thing, I don't think the conservative backbenchers who want to get rid of restrictions are alone in that mentality. I think lots of the public are psychologically over the pandemic, even if that's not a particularly rational viewpoint to have. So the question is, how do scientists continue to get their messaging across without being seen as doom and gloom scaremongers? The scientists who have the, the most trouble with this are the people doing the modelling, especially the group at Imperial College, because they produce doom and gloom figures. Right. Um, but Worst what case scenario is, stuff. This is not a prediction. This is um, what might happen uh, if we don't do something uh, or if we don't take some kind of measures. So, for example, one interesting fact, there was a YouGov poll after the announcement that restrictions would be eased. Um, and 43% of people in that poll said it was uh, too soon. Right. Now, that's not to say that there isn't, a, you know, obviously more than 50% thought it was about right um, or not soon enough. Um, but I think there, there is a, a, a public feeling, as you say, people... Oh God, I wish all these restrictions could just go away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's, it's been a long haul and I think people are willing to accept an, a little bit more uh, for a short period of time ahead. Um, I suppose lastly then it's important to ask, if you were running the news desk over the next two weeks to a month, what would you be preparing to cover? What do you anticipate is coming round the corner in terms of the media landscape? Well, I, th I think there's two things. One, whether the uh, relaxation of the rules does lead to a, a growth in, in Omicron again, a growth in infections. Um, there are indications that they're going down. Uh, they're certainly less than the 200,000 they were over Christmas. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure. What I am sure of, and I, I've looked up a couple of figures here, is that the, the pressure that that's producing on the NHS not only in, in intensive care wards, but also on what they call elective surgery, uh, you know, surgery where you can put a date on, you will have this operation for a hip replacement or whatever it is on this date. And, and the figures there are, are quite astonishing. Um, the, the, the BMA estimates that uh, more than uh, 2 million people are now waiting more than 18 weeks for operation. And for someone who needs a hip replacement, that's you know 18 weeks in pain, uh, not being able to go out, not being able to walk properly, perhaps. Yeah. Um, now, that is a story that I think is so far, not, it, people have had a go at it, but it's not yet been told properly. Um, and, and I think that is what I'd be encouraging my reporters to go for. Thank you to Lawrence for that. And thank you for listening. As always, that's all from me for another week. Links to get in touch are discoverable in the episode description as are links to the fabulous Media First blog. And make sure to subscribe before you leave. The Media Landscape is produced by 37, which is a journalist-led content creation agency. We help our clients tell their stories in a way that wins hearts and minds. You can find out more by visiting 37.agency. This podcast is sponsored by Media First, 
who design and deliver bespoke media, message development, presentations and crisis communications training. Find out more by visiting mediafirst.co.uk. That's spelled out media, F-I-R-S-T, dot co, dot uk.